Welcome to the One Hope Church podcast, where we believe Jesus is our one hope for a better life and a better world. We hope this message encourages you. Isn't God good? Oh, come on, you don't sound very convincing. Hey, I want you to respond the way you do when Alabama scores a touchdown. Isn't God good? That's more like it. It's so good to be here this morning. You know, uh, for over 53, well, over 50 years, I don't know exactly how many, uh, I have identified as a pastor. And uh, here for 22 years, and then uh, around the country and helping churches refocus and intentional interim pastors, 12 different churches. And, uh, but now I identify as the husband of a cute little blonde pickleball enthusiast named Francie. That's how I identify now. That's what it's come to. Okay, anyway, just wanted to let you know that. You know, for uh, over 400 years, uh, Israel was in Egypt. And if you're familiar with the book of Exodus, by the way, Pastor Scott gave us a great introduction last week to the book of Exodus. So if you're familiar with the book of Exodus, you'll know that from beginning to end, it is the story of transition. Jacob's uh, extended family, and by the time of the Exodus, a huge family, is going through transition. They entered Egypt as special guests of the Pharaoh. Previous to that, uh, God had engineered sending Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel, had engineered sending Jacob ahead of them to Egypt to prepare the way. And he became a, a high government official. And so when famine hit the area, uh, Jacob engineered an invitation for his father, his brothers, and all of their families to come to Egypt to find a place of refuge. And they came, and they, they lived there for a lot of years as special guests. But then things changed. The Pharaoh changed. Uh, Jacob passed, I mean, J Joseph passed from the scene. And the new Pharaoh saw them as a threat. As I said, by that time, they were a huge extended family. And God was so blessing them that Pharaoh thought, wow, they're going to take over. So as often was the case in ancient societies, he placed them in bondage, in slavery, to control them, to crush their spirits. It was then that uh, God did an amazing thing. He heard their cry of agony. And he laid it on the heart of a man by the name of Moses to lead them out of Egypt to the promised land. And so by the middle of the book of Exodus, that's where we find them. They, they are in the middle of the desert and they are on the way to the promised land. They are in 
the wilderness. Now, although the desert or the wilderness has its own unique beauty, uh, it it's really can be a very lonely and foreboding place. You know, living in San Diego and pastoring in San Diego for 10 years before I came here as pastor, uh, on an annual basis at least, we would make the trek from Southern California to the Midwest to see family. And we always had to cross the desert southwest. And so in my mind's eye, as I consider the situation in which Israel finds themselves at this time, I see those scenes of the desert southwest of the United States. It looks something like this. We got a picture, I think. I, I see those scenes. You know, I see the cacti. By the way, that's plural for cactus. And, 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 I, and I see the mirages. You know, you're driving across the desert, that lonely place, and you'll see what you think is a lake of water or even a city in the distance. And when you get there, you find it's only uh, the heat rising from the desert that fools you. I, I see those uh, miniature Alabama tornadoes. We call them, they call them dust devils out there as they make their way across the desert floor. So that's the scene that comes to my mind when I think of the Israelites traveling through the wilderness. Exodus, Exodus chapter 16, verses 1 through 3, gives us a snapshot of what they were experiencing. Follow along as I read. It's on the screen. The whole Israelite community set out from Elam and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai. On the 15th day of the second month, after they had come out of Egypt in the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. Hold right there. You know that the word grumbling here is really a euphemism. It, 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 it really speaks of uh, contempt. They were grumbling against their leader Moses and his assistant Aaron, but they were holding God in contempt for leading them to this wilderness place. I want to ask you this morning, uh, do you kind of get the idea that they aren't having much fun in the wilderness from these words? I, I mean, uh, it, it doesn't feel like a party, does it? They aren't experiencing a party. You see, you see, wilderness and wilderness experiences in life aren't much fun. Have you discovered that yet? They aren't much fun. And so they were on their way to God's promise, the promised land. The Bible calls it Canaan. They were on their way, but they weren't there yet. They were in the middle of of the wilderness, a place of transition in your life and my life sometimes can feel uncomfortable and it can cause great anxiety in you and me. And, and no doubt this morning you can remember some times of transition in your life that felt like a wilderness. Things have changed. And, and you, you believe that God is leading you somewhere, but you aren't there yet. 
And so those feelings come back to us. Life is filled with transitions. And many of those transitions feel like wilderness experiences. Now, one of the things that make the wilderness of, uh, of transition so uncomfortable is the fact that the old is in the rearview mirror and the, you, the new has yet to materialize, at least to materialize fully. The old is in the rearview mirror and the new has yet to materialize, at least materialize fully. In 1985, we moved from San Diego, California to pastor this church. I can still remember leaving San Diego. I remember what it felt like. We'd been there 10 years. We'd seen a church grow there. We were leaving behind friends. And, and we, were, we were coming to Tuscaloosa. And it didn't make it any easier uh, that it was in the middle of July when it's 65, 70 degrees in San Diego. And you know what it's like in Alabama in July. Okay? So as we made our way across the Interstate 8 and up over the, up over the, uh, the, the uh, mountains... Uh, the desert opened up before us. We made our way down to the desert floor and started to cross the desert floor and I began to look in the rearview mirror. As we were going over the mountains, I looked at San Diego fade from, faded from sight. And then as we were going across the desert, I looked in the rearview mirror and the coastal mountains were fading from sight. Now there was also another reason I was looking in the rearview mirror. I was looking in the rearview mirror because I had the two boys in the truck with me and Angela was driving our car with, Allie, with I mean, Francie was driving, not Angela, she was only in third grade, but <laughs> Francie was driving our car with Angela and so I kept looking in the rearview mirror to make sure that Francie didn't do a U-turn and go back. But, but, I, but I watched that fade from view and the new was yet to fully materialize. You see, the wilderness can be absolutely disorienting because the old familiar landmarks are gone. We've sur we surrounded our lives with these old familiar landmarks. Some of them are relationships, people that have become close friends. Some of them are places, they're experiences that we are leaving behind. And we have to trust God at that moment to give us new ones in which to orient our lives around. So, so that's where the ancient Israelites were at this point in their journey. And maybe that's exactly where you are this morning. Maybe you're going through a transition, and, and, it, and it feels like a wilderness. You're feeling disoriented. You're feeling uncertain about the future. And you are personally experiencing the fact that transitions and wilderness experiences tied to them aren't much fun. They just aren't. Out of his many wilderness experiences, the psalmist David asks this question, and then he answers it himself. He says, where can I go from your spirit, Lord? This is what he, how he answers it. If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise to the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. 
your right hand will hold me fast. Psalm 137, 39, verses 7 through 10. Those are encouraging words to us this morning. I hope they are to you. I know they are to me. Because there's nowhere we can go, even through the wilderness, that God isn't present with us. We may not feel like he's there at times, but he's there. I I think of words of hope spoken to the people of Israel at a later time in their history. When because of their disobedience to God, they find themselves in captivity in ancient Babylon. God speaks to them at one point when they are crying out to him. And he speaks words of encouragement. And this is what he says in Jeremiah, through the prophet Jeremiah, Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Now, those are not just words for ancient people. They're words for you and me also. They really are. When you and I find us, find ourselves going through a transition that feels like the wilderness. Now, I want to assure you this morning that you will get through such experiences and they will even turn out to be beneficial if, and that's a big if, if you navigate the wilderness in the right way. So, so how do we do that? How do we navigate the wilderness experiences of life in the right way? How do we do that in such a way that it is benefit to us and is of glory to God? How do we do that? First of all, we need to recognize that wilderness, the wilderness of transition is both inevitable and necessary. Now, it was necessary for the Israelites to go through the wilderness to get to the promised land. Now, it wasn't really necessary geographically. There was actually a shorter route. I don't know whether you know that or not. They, they could have gone up along the Med- what is now the, called the Mediterranean Sea. But God didn't lead them that way, and he didn't lead them that way for two reasons. First of all, he didn't lead them that way because there were established nations there, and he knew they weren't ready to fight their way through. But he also led them in a secure route through the wilderness because there were some things he wanted to teach them. You see, they were not just in a transition of locations. They were in a transition of being a huge family to becoming a nation. And there were certain things that he wanted to teach them. 1985, as I said, my family and I couldn't get from San Diego to Tuscaloosa without going across the desert southwest, the Mojave Desert. You know, if you and I are to get to God's preferred future for us, we will have to go through some wilderness experiences. And I hope by the end of this message you understand why. You and I will have to go through some wilderness experiences if you and I are to get to God's preferred future for each of us. Life in general is filled with inevitable changes and changes involve transitions. 
And these transitions often feel like the wilderness. If I have trusted Christ as my Savior, and if I am submitting my life to Him as Lord, I can count on the fact that the journey He leads me on to His preferred future for me will inevitably lead through some wilderness experiences. Now, it's so easy as believers to get a skewed uh, understanding or idea concerning the purpose of our faith in God. You see, we can come to believe that our faith in God is so that we will be saved from hard, difficult things in life. We'll be saved from the wilderness experiences. Or are we, we get the idea that if, we are, if He doesn't save us from those things, <coughs> then He will protect us through them. Well, I, I ask you this morning, does, does God do that? Yes, sometimes, but not always. You say, Pastor, what are you talking about? Well, we don't have time to do it this morning. I suggest this afternoon that you turn in the New Testament to the book of Hebrews chapter 11 and read it. He doesn't always uh, cause us to escape those kinds of situations. And the reason is this, because that's not his primary purpose in our relationship with him. His primary purpose, listen to me, is to get us to the promised land. Now, that's the end goal of our faith. And, and I'm not talking about that new dimension of life that we are promised beyond this fallen world called the new heaven and new earth. I'm not talking about that when I say that. I'm talking about the promised land that is right now for us. In the present. The writer of Hebrews calls it, listen to this phrase, entering God's rest. Entering God's rest. Hebrews 4 verse 1 says this, Therefore, since the promise of entering His rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to be fallen short of it. Now, that's God's grand purpose for each of us as followers of Jesus. It's what the Apostle Paul is referring to in Romans 8 verses 28 and 29 when he makes this statement. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him. Now, he doesn't say everything's good. He says in everything we go through, God is working for our good. Works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Now, in the next verse, verse 29, he tells us what that purpose is. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he, meaning Jesus, might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Now catch the phrase, it's the all-important phrase here, to be conformed to the image of His Son. That's God's grand purpose for each of us if we're followers of Jesus, that we would be conformed to the image of His Son. That's the purpose He is leading us to, His preferred future for us right now in this world. It's his ultimate goal. To put it another way, his desire is that we increasingly display the character qualities that we will display in the new heaven and in the new earth. 
His purpose is right now in this present world, this fallen world in which we live, that by faith we increasingly exhibit the character qualities that we will have in the new heaven and the new earth. I think that's what the writer James is talking about in his short letter at the end of the New Testament. He says this in chapter 1, verses 2 through 5, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature, mature and complete, not lacking in anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, parentheses, while going through the wilderness, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. An old mountaineer was once asked this question, said, tell us, sir, what do you consider is most important in successfully climbing a peak, a mountain peak? Well, he said, this is the most important thing. You need to always remember it's the bumps that you climb. You and I as believers, as followers of Jesus, need to remember that it's the bumps. It's the bumps in line, in life, that we climb as we proceed toward God's preferred future for us. Now, here's another thing that's important if we're going to navigate the wilderness successfully. We need to consciously reject fear. I mean consciously reject fear. Did you know that one of the most often repeated phrases in the entirety of the Bible is this phrase, is this phrase, do not be afraid. Now, one of the rules of biblical exegesis is that if something is repeated, it is important. And so, if it's uh, repeated twice, it's really, really important. If it's repeated three times, it's really, really, really important. It's repeated five times, it's really, 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 really important. But what if it's repeated 300 and plus times like this phrase in various ways in the entirety of Scripture, do not be afraid. Now, you and I were created by our Creator with the ability to be afraid. It's one of the defense mechanisms that He created us with. And it's, it's, it's just like the emotion of, of anger. However, God did not intend, listen to me, that fear ever dominate our lives. He never intended that, you see. You see, when it becomes a dominating force in my life, then it causes me to make bad choices. It, it causes me to, instead of trusting Him more, to try harder. That's always the choice, you know. Trust more or try harder. And it, it causes me to make the choice of trying harder. And usually that leads for me to wrong choices and fails to lead me to His preferred future for me. In other words, we end up in the wrong place. 
and, and, and the, that can lead to disastrous results. That was the case for the Israelite community journeying through the wilderness. Time and again, they let fear dominate them and push them into making bad choices. One of those bad choices is, was what happened at the, at the base of Mount Sinai. You know, if you'll remember in, in chapter 32 of Genesis, God, God uh, uh, gives the law, it prepares to give the law to Moses, and the, the Mount Sinai is covered with smoke and fire and clouds and so forth, and Moses goes up in the smoke and fire clouds to re- receive the law from God's hand. And he's gone for an exceedingly long time. 40 years. He was gone for so long that the Israelite community wrote him off. Well, that guy's out of the picture. But even worse, they forgot God. And and they turned to idol worship like they had witnessed in Egypt. Another instance is recorded in the book of Deuteronomy, uh, the first chapter. They're standing for the first time at the border of the promised land at Canaan. Moses sends out 12 spies. And the 12 come back. And 10 of them report this way. You know, that place was fantastic. I mean, you won't believe what grows there. God has provided an awesome place. But, always beware when your butts get in the way. It short-circuits your faith. But there are giants in the land. And we cannot overcome them. Now, there was only two of the 12 that brought a good report all the way. They said, yeah, it really is a fantastic place. And yeah, there are giants. But by God's help, we can win the battle. That resulted in an extension of Israel's wilderness journey supposed to be a short journey and it ended up being 40 years they had to journey in the wilderness until that generation of unbelieving people died off all except for the believing people Joshua and Caleb and their families they had to journey in the wilderness until they had learned the lessons that God had been trying to teach them and this new generation had to learn this lesson, these lessons before they could enter the promised land. So how do we keep from, from fear dominating our lives while going through the wilderness? Whether those transitions come about by our own choices or through the natural result of the progression of life, through no fault of our own, or whether they come about because of bad choices. Whatever whatever the cause is, when we are going through the wilderness, we often face painful realities. We face the painful reality of loss. Loss of relationships. Some of you know what this is like, the loss of a spouse. The loss of someone near and dear to us. The loss of friends. The, the, The loss of a job. The loss of our health. And on and on and on the list could go. So so how do we navigate that? How do we do that? Does it work just to grit our teeth and say over and over again, I will not be afraid. I will not be afraid. I will not be afraid. 
Hey, have you ever tried to not think about something you didn't want to think about? You ever tried that? How's that worked out for you? You know, I, I hate roller coasters. And Francie loves them. And once in a while, I, she has convinced me to ride with her on a roller coaster. And all the time, going up the first hill, I'm saying to myself, I will not be afraid. I will not be afraid. I will not be afraid. And then I get to the top of that first hill, and I say, oh my, what has this woman got me into? I'm afraid! You see. You know, our determination is not the answer. It really isn't, isn't the answer. You know what we need? We need to gain a fresh perspective. We need to gain a fresh perspective. Have you ever been on, on the internet with your computer and, and you're trying to get on a website and it keeps blanking out and then this little message comes at the bottom of the screen, either the top or the bottom, it says this, refresh. Refresh. Hey, if you and I are sensitive to the Holy Spirit of God, if we are really serious about being followers of Jesus, there will be times when God will send that message to us. Hey, don't be fearful. Refresh. Gain a fresh perspective. One person put it simply this way. That let your glance be upon your problem and your circumstances and let your gaze be on God. Let your glance be on your problems and your circumstances and let your gaze be on God. You see, the Israelites lost their focus in the middle of their wilderness experience. And in reality, they lost their memory. They, they forgot how God, through earth-shattering events, had literally delivered them from the hand of the Pharaoh of Egypt. They, they forgot how when they were beginning their wilderness journey that they were caught between the devil and the black, deep blue sea. Pharaoh's forces had started pursuing them. They forgot how God opened up a path in the sea and they walked through on, light, on dry ground and then when Pharaoh's chariots tried to follow them, God caused the sea to come together and they drowned. Israel was delivered by God's mighty hand. Can you believe how their immediate situation time and again caused memory loss for them? It caused them to forget their slavery in Egypt and to yearn to be back in Egypt where at least they had plenty of food to eat. It, it, it caused them at Mount Sinai to forget God and their leader Moses and turn to false God. I, I ask you the question, can you believe it? By telling you that sometimes I've done the same thing, have you? I, I know you've done the same thing too. Uh, there's been times when I've let fear overcome in the pressure of the moment. That's how I know it. That's how I know it happens. And, and so when that happens, I, I found myself reversing the situation and letting my gaze be upon my problem and my circumstances and my glance be on God. Have you ever done that? Now, if you're honest, you'll be going like this. You have. All of us have, right, Calicus? This happens, you see. And then we find ourselves, instead of trusting more, we find ourselves taking things into our own hands and trying harder. Doesn't work. Never does. 
And so we need to gain a fresh perspective. That's what needs to happen when you and I find ourselves tempted to take things into our hands, into our own hands while we're going through the wilderness. The Bible puts it this way, and it's one of my favorite short little verses in the entirety of Scripture. Psalm 46.10 says this, Be still and know that I am God. Or to put it another way, God is saying through these words, Shh, and know that I am God. Or sometimes he becomes more blunt, Shut up! And know that I am God. He has to yell at us, you know. God ever yell at you? He does to me. Shut up and know that I am God. In Psalm 56, verse 3, in the message version, the psalmist confesses these, this with these words, When I get really afraid, I come to you, God, in trust. When I get really afraid, I come to you in trust. I, I, I picture a child who runs to their father or mother when they're really afraid and grabs a hold of their hand or if they're standing up, wraps their arms around their leg. You ever done that when you were a kid? You know? I want to share with you a personal story and, and I share this story with you as a, with an honest admission lest you think I'm some sort of a super Christian. I, I haven't always handled a wilderness experience this way. Uh, there have been times when, when I have let fear gain control and and I almost did in this situation. In 2013, we had just left an interim assignment of 12, 13, 14 months in Pennsylvania. We came home, and we were home for the summer, and about September, Francie began to have an intense abdominal pain. So she went to her OBGYN, and he diagnosed it just from looking at her and said, Francie, I had to tell you this, but I think you've got ovarian cancer. I think you've got ovarian cancer. I was there with her that morning when he broke the news. He sent us down to the blood lab at the, the tower at DCH, and a friend was there. Francie went back to have her blood drawn, and, and uh, I was sitting there, and our, my friend, our friend, sat down next to me, and she, she later told Francie, when she sat down next to me, she looked at me and noticed that I was literally trembling. I was literally trembling. The next morning, I was walking on the river walk. And as, as I often do, I was walking and praying, crying out to God. And, and, and it was at that time that, that, that God brought to my mind the words of an old song. I mean, it's a really old song. I remember hearing it when I was a kid in church. And you'll, you'll, you can understand how old it is because it inserts some King James language in it. The title of the song is this, He Giveth More Grace. And the first verse goes this way, He giveth more grace when the burdens grow greater. He giveth more strength when the labors increase. To added affliction, He addeth His mercy. And to, and this is the phrase that really caught me that morning, to multiplied trials his multiplied peace his multiplied peace I, I went home after that and, and I, I, I said Troncy I was out praying I was walking on the river walk down, uh, downtown and I said and, and God brought this 
this song, this old song to my mind, and, and, and I want to read the words to you. And so I read it to her, and, and you know what? That song became our theme during that time of the unknown. We were walking through the wilderness. By the way, it turned out not to be ovarian cancer, but just to make a long story short. But we didn't know that then. And, and so God brought such peace to us. Now get this, such peace to us that our kids thought we were in denial. And that's not a river in Egypt. You know. They thought we, they thought we were in denial. And, and as, I, as I think now of that experience, there's a phrase that usually comes to mind. For you English literature buffs, you will recognize the opening lines of Charles Dickens' fa fa uh, famous novel, A Tale of Two Cities. For it says there in the opening words of that novel, it was the best of times, it was the worst of times. You see, it was the worst of times for me because I thought I might be going to be losing my sweetheart. But it became the best of times for Francie and me as we walked through that wilderness experience and we literally experienced the peace of God that passes understanding. No reason for it. The peace of God that passes understanding. You know, and since that time, uh, we, we've often thought of that phrase in the Bible that refers to God as the God of peace. And we've changed the wording a little bit. Instead of the, the, peace of, the, the, peace of, the God of peace, we've changed it to the God who is peace. Listen, my friends, I don't know what you're going through, but God himself is your peace. Open up to him. He is your peace. And that's what I mean by gaining a fresh perspective when we go through a transition that feels like the wilderness. Writer and motivational speaker, the late Dale Carney, often quoted the poet, this poetic couplet. Two men looked through prison bars. One saw mud, the other stars. Which way are you looking today in your wilderness experience? Are you looking at mud? Are you looking at, spar at, at stars? There was an inscription that's found in a, a basement room after World War II in Europe. And it was believed to be left there by a, a, a Jewish person who was hiding out from the Nazis. And it simply said this. I love it. It says, I believe in the sun when it is not shining. I believe in love even when there is no one there. And I believe in God even when he is silent. That's a fresh perspective that God wants to refresh us with when we are going through the wilderness. There's one more thing that I need to remind you of as I close this message. What you and I learn or receive from God in the wilderness is never just for us. You understand that? It's never just for us. It's for people we influence. It's for people who are coming behind. In the 50s and 60s, there was a popular music group. I understand. I was reading this week, and I understand that they're still around, but just with different members. They were a folk group called the Kingston Trio. Anybody remember the Kingston Trio? They had a famous song. It was called Desert Pete. It was a story of a cowboy who was lost in the desert. He, he eventually wandered into an oasis, and there was a pump there. 
and, and beside that pump was, was a, a container filled with water. And his temptation was just to pick up the container and just satisfy his deep thirst. But then he noticed there's a note by it. And it says this, don't drink this water. Use it to prime the pump and you'll have all the water you need. And after you have satiated your thirst, be sure to fill the bucket again for the next person coming behind you. And so the Apostle Paul says to us in 1 Corinthians 11 verse 1, follow me as I follow Christ. Everyone here this morning has been through a transition that feels like the wilderness. Or you're presently going through a transition that feels like the wilderness. If not, I want to guarantee you that you will go through a transition that feels like the wilderness. You will. And since this is true, I want to close this message by us sharing together in a corporate prayer. This addresses the certainty that God will be with us in the wilderness. It's, it's from a book by Ed Welch. It's one of my favorite books. I have it in my Kindle library. The title of it is Running Scared. And the subtitle is Fear, Worry, and the God of Peace. Isn't that a great title? Fear, Worry, and the God of Peace. I want us to share in this corporate prayer before the worship team comes and lead us in a closing song. So will you stand with me and, and uh, this, the words will scroll on the screen and as best you can just follow up, follow with me as we pray corporately this morning as a congregation. Are you ready? Let's begin. God, open my ears. I don't clearly hear your care and compassion when you tell me not to worry or be afraid, but I know they are there. Father, open my eyes. I act like I see all reality. I act like I can even see more than you do, but I'm seeing now that there is an entire world that is blurry to me, and that world is you. It is you I don't see well. I want to trust in what you say and see things you have revealed. And that leaves me no choice but to start with humility. This is the way all journeys with you begin. So please teach me humility so that what you say overrules what I feel. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I want to repeat that last sentence. It's the, it's the all-important sentence in this prayer that we just prayed together. Teach me humility so that what you say overrules what I feel. Amen? Thank you for listening to this message from One Hope Church. If you liked this message and would like to hear more, check out our website at ouronehope.com for message archives, service times, and more information on how you can get connected. Thanks again for listening, and we hope to see you soon.